right, so this is probably, well not probably, this is our final preview service for Redstone Elizabethan. So what's the date that we will start meeting on a weekly basis? July? <laughs> okay, a little bit before then, starts with a J, January the 12th, okay, and we're going to start meeting at 8 a.m., no, what time? 10 a.m., just making sure you guys are awake. So we're going to start meeting at 10 a.m. every Sunday beginning on January the 12th. Uh, last time we met, we did this, and we're going to do it again, okay? So we want you to stand up, everybody stand, right? And we want you to kind of look around at people and ask yourself, who do I not know? And you need to find out, okay, do they like Thanksgiving better or Christmas, right? Thanksgiving or Christmas, turkey or ham, and your favorite side, Go say hello to somebody you don't know. Okay, if we can, we can start making our way back to our seats, we will go ahead and get started this morning. Did anybody ask Christmas or Thanksgiving? Did anybody even ask that question? Thanksgiving? Tur turkey or ham? Ham? Okay. Favorite side? Mac and cheese stuffing? Okay. Okay, good. You guys are definitely awake, and that is a good thing. Hey, before we jump into uh, the sermon, i got to say this, because it's December the 1st. And on December the 1st, 29 years ago, Cammie and I were married. So this is our 29th wedding anniversary. Yes. I know. Can you imagine being married to me for 29 years? Oh, the grace that Cammie must need. So congratulations to us, 29 years. Yeah, we're excited about that. Hey, we're stepping into Advent today. You've got a worship guide, and with your worship guide, you're going to see our passage. There's a place for you to take notes, um, and there's some you know, other notes you know, in, in there as well. But just know that we're going to go over some points today, and this is where you write that down. We want you to take it home, not put it in the garbage, and go back and reflect upon the passage. Uh, go back and look at your notes and see if the Lord speaks to you in a very uh, specific way. Okay, but we're entering into this season of Advent. Okay, what, is, what do you think Advent means? When you hear the word Advent, I'm going to throw that out and then you throw something back at me. What does that mean? Okay, reflecting on the Christmas story. Okay, that's good. For what purpose? What, are we, what, what is Advent? What are, we, what, are we, what are we reflecting about? Somebody tell me. Yes. God, yes. Because, in fact, Scripture, we see it, it says Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? God was coming to redeem the people of Israel. They didn't fully understand that at the time, but there was this waiting. There was this waiting that took place. There was this um, waiting for an arrival, right? So, like, we've got, oh gosh, we've got lots of kids in here, so we've got lots of moms that have been through this before. You think about, you know, the good news of, guess what, honey? We're having a child, right? That's amazing news. And then there's this advent, you know, there's this waiting period, like, um, who's doing that right now? Like Larry and Allie, I guess. You know, you, you've got, you know, people in our congregation that are right now waiting, you know, and they're, they're like, cannot wait for this final moment for the baby to be able to come. That's what Israel was doing. So they knew there's, there's been this constant bondage with the nation of Israel. They're always under bondage, and they were looking for someone to come and release them from bondage. Did they understand what that was going to look like? No. Did they understand that that was going to be God? 
No. Did they understand that he was going to be a different kind of savior than what they were thinking that he would be? They didn't understand any of those things. No. They looked for a king, right? I'm so glad to have the older Camp Redstone kids in here this morning with us. That just makes my heart happy. I think they ought to just stay all the time, but that's just my personal opinion, right? So because they're listening and they're actually responding better than the adults are. Notice that, right? Um, but there is this waiting that's taking place because the Messiah, the anointed one, is coming and he's going to redeem his people, right? So December the 1st, this Sunday, we're going to begin this series in Johnson City. We'll continue it where we're waiting we're adventing, turning that into a verb, for the coming of the Lord. So we stop and we remember what Israel had waited on, which was Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh. And then we look back at that and then we look forward because we know that this same Jesus that came as a baby, he's going to come and he's going to return and he's going to take his, his church home with him, right? So there's this waiting, there's this advent. Okay, now I've asked my buddy Adam, who's come... Um, this morning um, to, to the service, and he's got the best voice I know, if you don't mind, Adam. If you'll stand and if you'll read the passage, follow along with him in your worship guide. This is Luke chapter 2, and read 1 through 12, please. Okay, thank you, Adam. And then I'm going to add one more verse that we did not put in the worship guide. Verse number 13, if you have your Bible, says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Okay, so there's this, there's these two parts, and we're going to go through them. So here's, here's how you'll know that I'm about to finish today. I'm going to give you three observations, and then I'm going to give you one application point. Okay, so three observations and one application point. Bless you, Sam. Um, so you're, we look at um, the, the setting here, right, and we see that there's this, this region of the world that God is coming to. Okay, so here's my, my first thought as I was reading through this. Have you ever noticed how we all have, you may have never thought about this, but geographical prejudices. Geographical prejudices. Like I remember traveling when I was leading a school and we would go on these the, the trips to Europe and I remember going into France and the people in France, it's kind of, is anybody here from France by the way? Okay, good. So the people in France would kind of like stick their nose up in the air when it came to the Americans, right? Like they know how to speak English, right? But if you ask them for something, they'll, be, they'll just play dumb. Like, well, what is it? We know, you know, we know. And it's not true. They know English, right? But they've just got their nose up in the air because they like toying with us. So France would put their nose up in the air toward the Americans. But in California, right? So now we're in America. You know, California kind of puts their nose up in the air toward Tennessee, Think about the Beverly Hillbillies, right? If you've ever seen the show, the Beverly Hillbillies. Or USA you know, toward Mexico, or USA toward you know, Canada, right? Or let's go to Tennessee itself, right? So which city in Tennessee do you think thinks that they're the best city? Nashville, right? Nashville kind of puts their nose up in the air. They laugh at Knoxville. I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess technically they're a city. They're more like a town, but they're not really a city. But if you're in Knoxville, how do you feel about the Tri-Cities, right? You don't mean to, but we all want to be identified with and associated with what is better, right? So at least we're in Knoxville and we're not in the Tri-Cities. But how about if you're in the Tri-Cities, right? Well, at least we're in Johnson City or Kingsport, but not in Bristol. Golly, that place is just dead, 
okay, but if you're in Johnson City, it's like, well, at least we're in North Johnson City and now, not South Johnson City. South Johnson City is just dying. How about if you're in Elizabethan? I don't know. At least we're in West Elizabethan. At least we're not up the creek with the creekers, right? Or at Roan Mountain. We have these geographical prejudices that are within our hearts. It's this weird thing, but when you see that and when you find yourself looking at people at another region, people at another town, people in another city, and somehow you're thinking that you're better than them because your tag says Washington County instead of Carter County, I know it's weird, but that's a heart issue, right? And we all do it. We all have this struggle that's there. So there's these geographical prejudices that when I went back and looked at this passage, I began to see. It had me digging a little bit further. So let me, let me read a couple of things to you. First off, you got Joseph and Mary. They're traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, okay? The population of Nazareth at this time was about 500 people. Did you realize that? About 500 people. John 1, 43 through 46 says this. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was, with, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him, talking about Jesus, we found him of whom Moses said in the law and the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was just, just prod. He's from Bristol? He's from Stony Creek? Are you serious? Our Messiah, our King, our King, the anointed one that we've been waiting on all this time that's going to come and establish his reign is from the east side of Elizabethan? That's kind of what was happening here. That was the jab. Okay? Pilate, you remember this, he writes this inscription on the cross. Now, I'm fast-forwarding. Jesus is raised and... I mean, he's, 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 he's not raised up, but he's grown now. So he's 33 years old, and he's dying on the cross. And Pilate puts on top of the cross, it says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Did he do that to elevate the name of Jesus, to esteem him? Or was that just a jab? That was a jab. This is your king, and he's from Nazareth, right? He's from I'm not meaning to make fun of me from Stony Creek, but he's from Stony Creek. You know, he's from Rome Mountain. He's from the east side, or he's from Bristol, or whatever. That's what's happening here. Acts 22, 7 and 8. Paul says, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me. And this is what Jesus says to Paul. At the time, he's called Saul. He says, Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. Why did he have to say the Nazareth part? I just thought that was pretty interesting. Jesus is identifying himself as being from a small town. And then you look at Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, I can't pronounce this word, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. There's this prod. Bethlehem, you're so small that you can't even be amongst the clans of Judah. The popula population of Bethlehem, it would go between 300 to 1,000. So you've got Nazareth at 500, 
on a good you know, decade, there might be 800, 900 in, in Bethlehem, and it could go as low as 300. The population of Jerusalem at this time, to give you some perspective, was 600,000. Okay, so track with me here. You're talking about 5,000, maybe 8,000, and then you're talking about 600,000 in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem would have been the Nashville, right? Population of Nashville today, or last census, 691,000. Do you realize how many people lived in Nashville? That's a lot of people. Knoxville, 187,000. Johnson City, 66,000. Okay, guess, Elizabeth, and how many? How many? Uh, you got it. 13,000, because you've been reading Sam's notes? No. 13,000 people. So if you do the math, 53 Elizabethans will fit into Nashville. 14 Elizabethans will fit into Knoxville. The 2010 Census Bureau says that there are 16,000 307 towns under 25,000 people. And if you add all of those up, that is 33.7 million people. Anybody remember the words to John Mellencamp's small town? Nobody? I was born in a small town. Oh, y'all listen to Christian music. You don't listen to secular music, right? Do what? I'm going to die in a small town. Learned about Jesus in a small town. It was a great song back in the 80s, and I know I'm speaking to like five people in the congregation right now. You know, but why all of this small town information? Okay, here's the point. So here's number one, observation point number one. The advent of Christ's coming, this is the greatest event in all of history. The advent of God himself coming to earth culminated in a small town. Maybe 500, maybe 600 people. The God of the universe who says, okay, the moment has come, I'm going to reveal myself. Where would you think that that would be done? Like today, if you were God and you're coming to this earth and you wanted people to know that you were coming, where would you, where would you go? Where would you unveil yourself? Times Square? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. But you're going to find like this place, this hub, you know, of the universe, you know, of the, of the world where all eyes are on. And, and you would go there, there's these boards that are displayed, and here comes the baby and everybody's watching. That's not what he did. He chose. He chose to be born in a small town. Even looking at the sovereignty of God, right, even the census, was under the control of Almighty God. Because even though there was a decision that was made by Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered, that came from the hand of God. So God moved Caesar Augustus to call for a census because it was time for Jesus to come from Bethlehem. Okay. There's nothing, there's nothing profound about this, but you need to hear this as people, especially core group people, who are about planting a church in Elizabethan, okay? Sub-point number one, Jesus loves small towns. Sub-point number two, Jesus loves Elizabethans and Unicoi and Piney Flats and Flag Pond and Jonesboro, etc. And whatever you said there too, 
right? Jesus loves these small towns. And some point number, sub point number three, the work that we're about doing right now in a gymnasium at the Boys and the Girls Club of Elizabethan, it's really, really good work. What Jesus is calling us to do is to proclaim his name, right? He's wanting us to proclaim his name amongst real people in small towns, to get to know real people with real names and to establish relationships with them. You can do that in a town of 500. You can do that in a town of 700. Now, I'm not looking at Johnson City as being like this metropolis because it's not. Jesus loves Johnson City as well, right? But what he's calling us to do and proclaiming his name, which we're going to get to in a moment, it's really, really good work, right? This isn't just something to do on Sunday mornings where we're coming together to establish a church and we have somewhere to go and it's new and it's exciting and there's new faces and it's just you know, part of being you know, a, a, you know, a part of something that's like a startup operation that's always fun and exciting. Yes, that's great. But the same sovereign Lord that spoke to Caesar Augustus and said it's time for a census is the same sovereign Lord that spoke to us in Johnson City, Redstone, and said, there needs to be a church plant in Elizabethan because there's lots of morality and there's lots of religion, but there's very little Jesus fellowship. There's very little gospel. People are religious, but they don't understand the gospel. And a lot of those people that have gone to church all of their lives and have been baptized when they were kids, they do not know me and they do not follow me. Someone needs to go and get to know these people and proclaim the name of Jesus to them. What we're doing is really, really important work. And we need to understand that. Jesus went about from towns to towns and villages. He would go to larger towns, and then he would go into villages. He would go into cities, and then he would go into villages. I just never noticed it before. But you go back and look at the gospel, he was always finding himself in these little villages. Right? I remember in Ireland, when I went over to, to visit Kyler when she was in Ireland, there was, the, I guess, the towns, and they had a cathedral, and then the villages had no cathedral. So you'd drive through this beautiful, quaint little setting, and there was just like a few homes and a little town, but there would not be, um, there would not be a, a cathedral. There would not be a church of any sort, so they called that a village. Okay? And then you would go to the next one. Oh, there's, there's a cathedral, so that's actually a town. And you would go to larger places like Dublin. Of course, that would be a large city. And Jesus would find himself in these little villages. Observation number two. Okay? Observation number two. The proclamation of Christ's coming originated from heaven itself. So go back and look at the text again. Look at verse number 9, and it's not in your bulletin. That's why, I had, that's why I read it a moment ago, but verse number 13. But 9 and 13, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Okay, And the angel said, and then verse number 13, And suddenly there was um, with the angels a, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. The proclamation of Christ's coming originated from heaven itself. It's one thing, like, if you hear of something from a trusted source like a Sam Adams, right? Oh, well, Sam told me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, mm, Sam said that, you know, or Shane Darling. Well, Shane said, ah, okay, well, that's probably true, but then where did Shane get his information? Where did Sam get his information? 
the Lord is making a statement, right? And he's not sending that information through other people. The first proclamation that Jesus is coming, the time has come, the Messiah is on his way, right? It originates in heaven itself, okay? I mean, this is, this is the moment, right? And he calls his angels to proclaim the moment. It's a small thing, um, but it's something that we need to pay attention to. So observation number two. Observation number three. Ob- observation number three. The proclamation of Christ's coming was first directed to shepherds. Probably smelly shepherds, right? First directed to shepherds. Look at verse number eight. In that same re- region, there were shepherds. This is so cool if you think about it. These shepherds, they're out in the fields, they're watching their sheep, they're doing their thing, and the angel of the Lord appeared, and the words say, to them. Just a couple little words. And the angel, verse number 10, said to them, I bring you, shepherds, good news of great joy. When I think about that, I'm like, shepherds, they must have been like, why us? Of all of the people, we are not of royal pedigree. We're not important. We're just shepherds. We're just blue-collar workers. You know, and I started thinking about, like, what would that look like? Um, a welder from the east side, you know? Or the gas attendant at the gas and go? Um, a roofer? You know, plumber? Nurse? You know, just blue-collar workers. That's what we have in Upper East Tennessee. We have lots of blue-collar workers. We have lots of people that do come from royal pedigree and that do have lots of wealth, right? But Jesus, and I'm not saying anything against them, but Jesus chooses, right, to reveal himself to the shepherds in a small town. When I think about that, you know, um, it just took me to this passage. This is 1 Corinthians 1.26, if you want to look at it or look at it later. Make a note of it. I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. But think about these words. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Right? We have nothing on our resume that enables us to stand in front of the Almighty. We can't say, Lord, look at my lineage look at my resume, look where I come from. We have nothing, right? This is the way the economy of God works. And as I look at that, and I think about me even, right? Insert yourself into this, right? Who are you? Who am I? I'm a nobody. I'm not that smart, right? I don't come from royal pedigree. My dad, he never even knew his dad. He still has never met his dad. There's no lineage that you can trace back to to say, ha-ha, well, no wonder the Lord chose Jerry to be in this position. It's not there. There's nothing there. 
But for some reason, at 3 o'clock or 4 a.m., it's a little foggy to me now, the Lord spoke to me when I was, you know, 20 years old. And He called me to His own. And I looked in the mirror and I saw my eyes back into my soul and I saw myself as a sinner before a holy God. And I bowed before the Lord and I made Him the Lord of my life. And my life's not been the same since then. But I did nothing to deserve that. I did nothing to earn that, right? I am lowly and despised and nothing. I am the smelly shepherd, right? And I hope that you are as well. You know this song. Let's sing it. You ready? Amazing grace. I can't hear you. How sweet the sound. Pay attention to the next part. That saved a wretch like me. That's it. You ever thought about that? The word that's there? A wretch. Do you see yourself as a wretch? Do you see yourself as being above a wretch? As long as you can see yourself as a wretch, you still have hope, right? But when you think that the shepherds are below you or the amazing grace when it talks about a wretch, that was for somebody else, then you're missing it. You're missing the point. We talked about this last month. You know, Jesus says it clearly. It's not the righteous that need a Savior, the people that think that they've got it together. Just like it's not the healthy who need a physician. It's the people that know that they're smelly and the people that know that they're wretched and the people that know that they have nothing in their pedigree to offer to the Lord. And the Lord says, that's it. Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will never turn away from. Lord, I have nothing to give to you. Nothing. I can't look at my life and say, I've earned this. I can't. I am wretched. And I bow before you and I pray, oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Right? The wretchedness that we have. When I look at this passage, that's what I see in the shepherds. They're just normal people. And God chose to reveal himself um, to them. I don't want to stop there. I don't want to leave you hanging and walking out of here today with your head down low if you're a believer. Okay? So grab a hold of this passage. This is gold. Write it down. Go back to it. Memorize it. This is 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But when Jesus comes, we put our faith in Christ. He adopts us. He redeems us. He reconciles us. He justifies us. He begins this process of sanctification in us. He comes to live inside of us. The way that we see ourselves may still be as wretched and as a smelly shepherd, but listen to this. But you are a chosen race. That's us. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We'll always be nothing but smelly shepherds. And we'll always be wretched. And that's not a bad thing. But just know that when God looks upon us, He sees Christ. He sees a chosen people, a royal people, a holy people, and a people of His own possession.
And here's our application point. See? One, two, three, application. It's not so hard. Now we have the same responsibility of proclamation. In the same way, in the same way that the angels came and they proclaimed Christ, and they proclaimed that Christ is coming, to us that would be, this is who Christ is, and he is coming again. Look at verse, well, you don't have it in front of you, but 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. He's called us. We're his. We're his possession, but not just so that we can pat ourselves on the back and receive this gift of salvation in heaven and go about our merry way. No, no, no. In the same way that we stopped and we paused and we talked about um, just being a good steward and um, the way that we order our lives for the kingdom's sake, Jesus' fellowship demands more than that. It demands that we be able to open up our mouths and that we declare Him and His excellencies to other people, even in small towns. Okay. What do we proclaim? I bring you good news, verse number 10, of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you a Savior is born this day in, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay. Good news. We have really, really, really important information to share with people. It's really good news. Gospel means good news. When we declare the gospel to people, we're sharing with them good news. It's a great joy. If they understand the magnitude of this news that we're going to share with them, right, that we have the answer to their problem, right, and they're going to be at peace with God for all eternity, that should bring us greater joy than anything else. For all people. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We have a Savior, right? A Savior, someone who's come to save us from our sins. And it's not just a regular person, right? It's God Himself. The Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what we're giving to people, okay? And we're going to begin to do that in ways that we've never done before. Let's start now, okay? Are you ready? Repeat after me. We have good news Good news of great joy for all people. Savior, Christ the Lord. Good news, great joy, great joy, all people. Savior, Christ the Lord. Even in those five points, you can ask yourself, how can I take those and learn how to speak the name of Jesus and proclaim Him to other people? How can I learn how to share the gospel with other people? I have good news to share with you. And if you understand, it's going to bring joy to you like you've never heard. And it's for you. It's not just for me. It's for you. In fact, the Word of God says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a Savior that's come. Now, before I can talk to you about what a Savior means, you need to understand the perfectness and the holiness of God. Right? He is a consuming fire. He is perfect. He is sinless. If we have any sin within us, 
right? We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And if you have broken one law, James says, then you've broken all of them, okay? So there's a sin issue that we all have. We've all fallen short of the glory and the grandeur of God. And before you can understand your need of a Savior, you need to understand your own condition. And if you're talking to someone and they're like, no, I think I'm good, right? Then that conversation's almost over, right? Because unless they can understand, right, that they have sinned against God, then they will not see their need of a Savior. But if you can get them to see that and to understand that, then you can tell them good news of great joy, and it's for you, right? We have a Savior, Jesus came, and He is God. He is Emmanuel, and He is the Son of God. And then you can take that and you can move forward and you can tell them the great news of the Gospel. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Redstone Church Elizabethan. A bunch of smelly, wretched, blue-collar shepherds. And He wants us to take our voices and He wants us to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us. That's powerful. That's our calling. That's why we're here. We show up on Sunday morning because we need to worship Him, right? We need to, to understand the Word of God so we want to be taught by Him so we can encourage one another, so that as we take communion in a moment, that we can proclaim that He's coming back one of these days, right? And to remind ourselves of the mission that God's called us to, so that we can confess our sins one to another, that we might be healed. This is why we show up on Sunday morning, but this is not it. It's not Sunday morning Christianity. It's not. And if any of us think that that's what He's calling us to, to be a part of Redstone Elizabethan, we're going to be sorely disappointed because He wants us to begin to use our mouths to speak good news, great joy, all people, Savior. He is Christ the Lord. How do we go about doing that? We're going to figure that out. We're going to figure that out. We're going to figure that out in the spring beginning on January the 12th. The advent of Christ coming it culminated in a small town. Jesus is calling us to small towns. The proclamation started from heaven itself. And the proclamation was given to smelly, blue-collar, wretched workers, blue-collar workers just like we are. And now he is calling us to take this same news into the town of Elizabethan and Johnson City and Flag Pond and Piney Flats and wherever you reside. Right? And here's how we're going to go about this. There's two objectives that we have as a church body. One is, we have a lot of objectives, but I'm going to focus on two. One is, we want to get to know each other. We really don't want like Sunday mornings being a show. Just don't want it, right? So we, we want to engage the audience and people to get to know one another and it feel more like a living room setting than an auditorium, right? And the second thing is, we want to, in baby steps, begin to use our voices, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us. So we're going to start that this morning, right? So I'm asking you all, if you have a word, just a word of proclamation about King Jesus, this is your moment. You can sit, you can stand, 
But let's use our voices to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us. We're so undeserving. He is so worthy. Let's begin to use our voices to speak his name. So who wants to start that this morning? Okay, well, thank you for being bold to use your words. It's hard. It's hard to speak in front of people. That's the biggest fear on planet Earth that we have, right? To, to, to muster up the courage to speak anyway, that's a good thing. But that's what God's calling us to do, is to muster up the courage to establish relationships with people, not short-term, you're my pet project relationships, but I'm going to dig in deep and get to know this person and love them and know them. And then I'm going to pray that the Lord would give me the wisdom, the discernment, um, the, the understanding and the boldness to confidently speak good news of great joy for all people. The Savior's been born, He's Christ, and He's the answer. Right, So over and over and over, we, we want to learn how to do that. But it's going to start in here. It's going to start on Sunday morning. It's going to start in our community groups. It's going to start with just building up um, some, some boldness and, and some courage. So thanks for being willing to do that. At this point at Redstone, uh, Elizabeth and, and Johnson City, I think we'll probably always do a communion on um, Sunday morning. We don't have to. Scripture doesn't require for us to do that. But let me read this to you. In fact, if our communion guys can go ahead and, and get, get situated. This is from 1 Corinthians. Hey, Sam, will you do me a favor? Will you break the bread and pour the cup so I can read? This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, He took bread, okay, he lifted it to heaven, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Okay, so the bread represents his body, which is for you. As the angel said, I'm proclaiming to you, shepherds, Jesus is saying, this is for us. This body is for you, everyone who calls upon His name. And He says, do this looking back in remembrance of me. So we're looking at Advent backward that Jesus had come. And then He goes on to say, in the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, but this is the new covenant. The new covenant that covers our shame and our guilt and all those things that the enemy wants to throw at us and thinking that religion or our pedigree or whatever will save us, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says this. Here's this word proclaim. Listen for it, okay? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We like taking communion every week because it reminds us of the goodness of the gospel. It reminds us of what He has done. It reminds us that we are forgiven. We don't have to have it all together. 
I have sinned this week. As your pastor, I have sinned so many times this week. Right? And I don't have to walk in that guilt and I don't have to walk in that shame. And communion reminds me of that. And it reminds us of that. So we're asking you, if you will, if you're a believer, to partake in communion. And if you're not a believer, you should not partake in communion. Right? If you're not a believer, if you have questions about salvation, about this good news, we ask that you jot it down on your bulletin, put it back in one of the boxes in the back, or that you just come to Sam or me and just let us know, and we'll set up a time to have coffee with you, and we'll talk with you. Okay? So let me pray for us, and then we'll partake in communion. Father, I thank you for your word to us. Lord, as I think about the shepherds, and each of those shepherds were like us. They had a real name, a real person that's up on the side of the hill on a random night, and the gates of heaven are opened up. And the voice of the angel looks at the shepherd and says, I have good news for you. I'm speaking to you. He is here. Lord, in the same way, you've done the same thing to us. You've spoken to us directly, eyeball to eyeball. And you've called us to be your own, not because we deserve it, because we are wretched apart from you, but because of the grace and the mercy found in Christ. Lord, so as we take partake of communion this morning, I pray that we would proclaim your name and that we would proclaim what you have done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At your convenience, you can go to one of these stations and partake. Thank you.